welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everybody, I want to take a quick minute to tell you something that I'm really excited about. I've recently teamed up with Hitched Inc., one of the biggest and fastest growing tech startups in oil and gas. You've probably seen them all over LinkedIn. From generators to light towers, pumps to forklifts, use Hitch to pair your company with reliable rental suppliers and eliminate the hassle of logistics through the use of an in-app platform. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to schedule a demo. All right. Let's kick this thing off. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Canon with Billy Bray, insurance broker at New Front Insurance. I was mentioning to you a little earlier, it's a little bit out of the normal scope, but I thought having someone like yourself on the podcast would add a lot of value to the listeners and who maybe don't quite understand how important the insurance world is within our industry or or for anybody for that matter. I mean, it's not exactly the sexiest topic, but it certainly makes a huge impact on our lives, on how we conduct business, the outcome of certain things. And it's essentially, it's, it's absolutely necessary. So I was hoping, you know, we could tie in, you know, what people are used to on the day to day, but then how insurance actually affects how we do business. And then maybe you can help educate the listeners on, you know, things to look out for, maybe some of like, you know, the the do's and don'ts, or, you know, just some of the misconceptions that either insurance brokers or, or insurance companies how they do things and and just kind of, you know, give people the sense of awareness on what to look out for. Exactly. Yeah. Perfect, man. So anyway, how's the week, man? You were telling me you're just making phone calls, deals left, right and center. You're a busy man. Things are good. Off to a good start for the year and just, you know, 2020. Yeah. We're in a new millennium or new decade. Decade. So that's really exciting for everybody. So it's all about hitting goals and helping clients achieve theirs. Yeah, for sure. So you said, and it was interesting because when you first met just a little bit ago, you had said, before the holidays, you had lined everything up and then, you know, you're off to like, you know, hot out of the gate and, you know, for January, you know, why do you do that? Did you always have that sort of thought? Because most people go into the holidays, you know, they're exhausted from the year and they're like, oh, okay, once, you know, once January comes, I'll kind of wrap things up, but you've kind of hit the ground running in 2020. So describe that. There's been Januaries where I sat at my desk. I'm like, okay, so what do I do now? Or where do I find the next client that I can help or the next, you know, value creation opportunity for somebody. And this year, I think I just did it right. Maybe enough people put me off in December that I've got a stacked up January calendar, Yeah, but it's good. My mission is really just to help people and add value for their companies. And so having that passion of how can I help the most people? Because there's a lot of information and there's a lot of people that need that information. And mm-hmm. so my mission is to help get that information out to clients, prospective clients, and just into the masses because there's, you know, I used to work for the big billion dollar insurance companies. So I learned the high side of that and then some of the dirty little secrets. And so now I don't kind of more in an entrepreneurial group. And so I want to share that with consumers and really business owners and help them understand the pitfalls of commercial insurance, what to look out for, trends to be, you know, in tune with and really just how to buy insurance properly because there's a lot of ways to do it the wrong way Mm -hmm. and i think that most people might you know unless you've got a high level risk manager that got a master's at university of georgia that understands the ins and outs of commercial insurance 
there's a lot of ways to make mistakes, Justin. Mm -hmm. So I think kind of a long answer to your short question is I'm on a mission to help people get better insurance. Yeah, no, and, and rightfully so. I mean, that's building that trust and that reputation and certainly helping people make better calculated decisions on, you know, insurance, I think is extremely important. And so, I mean, really, again, it's not the sexiest talk, but how, right. how do you approach people who maybe you're like, oh, you know, I have something and this doesn't have to apply to insurance, but, but how do you make things sexy enough to talk about for them to actually have enough interest to invest energy, just like to look into it and to be aware right. of it? You know what I mean? So insurance is a grudge purchase. You kind of have to. Your customers are going to say you need X amount of insurance to access my property or to fulfill this purchase order or you've got to have workers comp or a five or $10 million umbrella sometimes more if you want to do business with me. And mm -hmm. so the client says, okay, it makes sense. I've got to do it. And so they go buy it or the bank requires a loan insurance for the loan on your property or the state requires auto insurance. You've got a big fleet of saltwater haulers. Well, guess what? You've got to have insurance for that. So the company owners obviously go buy that. Sometimes they buy it in different pieces Sometimes they buy it sophisticatedly, but I think a lot of times it's just think of a real estate investor or a company that's got multiple properties. You buy the property, you buy insurance. Six months later, you get a bunch of employees, you need workers comp. Mm. Three months later, you buy a fleet of vehicles and you need high quality auto insurance. And then your customer says, oh, I need $10 million worth of liability. Then you buy that. Well, then you've got all these different policies, maybe multiple brokers involved different renewal dates, which makes it really unorganized for your admin staff or for whoever has to actually renew those policies. Hmm. And so there's all this time and money being spent on insurance. And so my, you know, basically view to the business owner, the CFO or whoever's buying the insurance is, look, it's expensive. I'm not going to sell you insurance. I will help you kind of understand what you have, your overall risk profile, mm -hmm. and then try to clean it up, try to make it the most efficient from a cost perspective and a coverage perspective. If we look back at hurricanes and floods and different events that have happened, there's been a lot of companies and individuals that have had unpaid insurance claims. Well, that's just no good. Look, Justin, I'll be the first to tell you openly and out in the public, I don't like insurance. That's why I'm in my position. Mm. I'm a broker. So my job is to level the playing field for my clientele and for my prospective clientele to go beat up against the big billion dollar insurance companies. It's yep. kind of funny. I tell my friends, I'm like the best CPA you could hire is the one that used to work for the IRS. <laughs> right. So I used to work at the big billion dollar insurance companies. Now I'm a broker advocating for you or for the clients that are buying the insurance. And furthermore, you have all these policies that are two, three inches thick. What's what's in there? Mm -hmm. Well, my business partner is an insurance attorney. So we help kind of decipher what is all that legal jargon? Right. What does that mean to you? If on page 325, there's an exclusion that says you're excluded for whatever, and you are doing that type of business operation, and then you have a claim, you've got a problem, call your broker you've had for 15 years that you like that comes to the company for Christmas parties, and he gives you a renewal last minute, you know, he answers your phone calls, gives you certificates when you need them, but there's no strategic proactive service going on. That's why I've been disrupting the industry is giving clients that quarterly or sometimes monthly meetings to get out in front of things, how to win a worker's comp audit. I did this article for Energy Magazine a couple years ago. Nice. And it's basically on your worker's comp, the state dictates that you will be audited every year. And there's ways to get around that. And okay. there's not ways to get around the audit, but there's ways to be proactive, to be ready for it okay. or to prevent a big, nasty 
bill at the end of it because that will happen if you manage it improperly right so that article is that available online or is that similar like is there a link or if you were to like if someone was to hit you up to get something because i think something like that is like i don't know if it's free or not but having that kind of information i think could help save companies i'm assuming some money or at least some heartache absolutely probably both so it's on my linkedin if you look me up billy bray houston on linkedin it's on there i've published it on there Uh, and i'll send it to anybody either hard copy or soft copy i'm I'm very open to that we put your link in the show notes and and any other links that you find would be useful for the listeners to look at So, you know, backing up a little bit here. So like why insurance? Like no one graduates from high school has been like, I'm going to be an insurance broker. So like, how did you even end up getting into this type of thing? It's, it's kind of funny. So back in the days where you could get hired on careerbuilder.com, yeah. I had my resume out there. This was, I think I started insurance 13 years ago. So 13 years ago, I had my resume on careerbuilder.com and I had a, a decent resume. I, I'd say a strong resume and I had a state farm agent. Call me. I don't work at State Farm anymore, but that's where I kind of got my licenses and, and learned the insurance business from a personal lines perspective as I've transitioned into the upper middle market commercial now. But he just called me randomly out of the blue and said, hey, I'm looking to build an agency and need good, aggressive salespeople. And I kind of laughed at him and said, yeah, well, that's kind of the cloth that I'm cut from. My mom had me and my brother selling flowers door to door when I was six years old for two bucks a piece. Nice. And so that was fun and kind of the start of my entrepreneurial how do you be a really good entrepreneur? Well, you get a basis of good sales acumen and then build from there. And mm-hmm. so I guess to answer your question, that's kind of it. And then I just developed into not wanting to help the consumer as much on car insurance, but wanting to help businesses from a macro perspective of how to really help their business not only survive, but thrive. Gotcha. Gotcha. I mean, I think it's important to understand a lot, you know, where that comes from. And I find a lot of like solid salespeople or entrepreneurs a lot of them have a unique story from when they were a child, you know, whether it was like their parents, like you said, forcing them to go, you know, sell flowers door to door. You know, in my example, in my experience, my parents, we owned like a custom furniture building and kitchen and cabinetry shop. And there would always be scrap countertop when back in the day was still the laminated sort of like particle board crap that, you know, most, you know, mid level Canadians could afford. I would take those scraps. My dad would help me make cutting boards out of them. And so I would sell cutting boards. Nice. So, you know, I can identify with you. And then, you know, of course, in Canada, it snows. So walking around and shoveling people's driveways <laughs> for a few bucks you know, around the cul-de-sac. But yeah, I think it builds great fundamentals and, you know, helps a little bit with discipline and hustle and, mm-hmm. and then, you know, understanding like, you know, no doesn't mean like end of the road. It means opportunity. And so, I mentioned to you earlier, I looked at your LinkedIn just to get a little bit more background and and you've got some pretty solid accolades and I wanted to touch on that a little bit, but more specifically regarding to leadership. Mm -hmm. So how would you define leadership and and when did you recognize you had those types of skills to lead? Because looking at it, there were some things I noticed you did some charity work and Mm -hmm. and you you seem to be a leader in your role within the, you know, the insurance world. Can you touch on that a little bit? Well, thank you for that. All leaders are, are continually developing, right? So what I would say is, I'm a good follower of great leaders after doing it for you know 15 years or whatnot. There's certain people that follow me, but I think the main thing that I see is that everything rises and falls on leadership. Mm-hmm. Whatever the leadership is doing will obviously trickle down to whether it's the economy or whether it's the small nonprofit that you have, your company, what have you. And so one of the nonprofits that I've been involved with and still on the advisory board of is the Lombardi Foundation. We all know the Lombardi name. It's all about leadership on and off the field for college football players. And so it's not the best football player. It's not the most talented or the best stat guy, but it's a combination of that 
with the leadership accolades on and off the field and how good of a person that person really is. So that's one thing. Recently been involved with Leadership Houston, which is a bunch of community leaders, judges, deans of the school, community leaders in different Fortune 500 companies. And I was fortunate enough to be invited to be involved in that too. I just think it's interesting. and, And I don't see myself as the leader of all leaders by any means. I like to follow great people to basically advance myself and to learn more. Of course. No, that that's a great answer. And speaking of, of even just speaking, am I correct by saying you're going to be speaking for the recordbreakers.com about goal crushing? Is that something? right? Yeah. So, okay. Because you're doing it like tomorrow, aren't you? Or? So that was actually pushed back. So it's going to be on March 21st or 22nd. It's okay. Whatever that Saturday is, that third week in March. Okay. And so there's my friend Nolan Davis at Networking Nolan Davis on LinkedIn. He is going to be going to a hundred different cities with a hundred different individuals that are all giving different speeches on whatever their topic of discussion is. He's renting a helicopter so he can get to every place that he needs to be. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coffee involved, but uh, (laughs) so I think the hundred mark will get us well over the Guinness book of world records. And I'm proud and happy and blessed to be a part of that. That is badass. Yeah. So, (laughs) so one of my favorite things is helping people accomplish their goals so I've got a podcast that I just do for fun called The Millennial Mentor. It's on Anchor. And so the best feedback that I've gotten from my audience, which is pretty small, but there's some people they are like the way that you talk about vision boards and hitting goals and crushing goals. I've implemented that to my life. And wow. guess what? That red dress that I had on there, I own it now. Yeah. Or, you know, that college degree that everybody said I couldn't have. I've got it now and things like that. And so obviously goals are important to us as individuals. But when you can help a 22-year-old kid hit his goals and learn how to do that, or even the red dress was somebody that's far beyond 22 and not a kid, they're like, I never even learned that stuff. I don't know anything about that. So for me, and then I relay that back to my insurance business, is if you're a CFO and you're trying to hit your numbers and your balance sheet's messed up or the cash flow's having a tough time, well, let me come in and hone in on that line item of insurance and see what we can proactively do to crush the goals for you guys so you can have better numbers. I can't completely flip it around on you, but I can help on the insurance side. Right, right. So why help others? Where did that come from? We're here to serve. And that's my belief is the more people that you serve, the more you'll be served to yourself. And we're not here in a vacuum of your little bubble of maybe in high school, we think that, that it's all about us. It's all about us. But when you get into the brutal reality of real life and business, like you're the last person, it's all about everybody else. Mm -hmm. And so if you can go out and help serve the community, whether it's through leadership positions, nonprofits, if you can donate a bunch of shoes to the school that there's kids going to school that don't have shoes, which we did through our Rotary Club, downtown Rotary Club, a couple of months ago when kids were enrolling in schools, somebody approached us and said, hey, look, there's like a thousand kids that don't have shoes that come to this school every year. So we said, okay, well, how much money do you need? And let's nip that in the bud because look, it's a confidence booster for these children. You've got to have confidence. You don't have to, but the more confidence you have as as a little kid, it bleeds into your adulthood. So why help others? I think that's the duty of all of us. It's our personal obligation and responsibility. And if you're not doing it, you're missing out. And by the way, there's a huge emotional fulfillment by doing that, Mm -hmm. especially when you see the effect that you can have on somebody else's life. Big time. And so what was the first point in your life where you were able to help someone, you know, not knowing what kind of like emotional gratification you would have, but was there a point like where it was like, you know what, 
I get it now. The point of being here is to serve others. Because obviously, I mean, maybe your parents taught you. Maybe it was mm-hmm. a coach. Maybe it was a mentor. But but when did you make that realization? I mean, it's probably like my mom when I was little. She's like, hey, look, you open the door for other people. Yeah. You know? And if there's some nice person that needs help or maybe they're a little bit older, maybe they're in a wheelchair, or maybe it's another kid, like go get that door, open it for them, let them walk through and help them out. And that's a little tiny example on the grand scheme of some of the things that we've been able to do. For sure. No, that's great, man. It all comes down to a lot of what we've done, you know, in our childhood, Mm -hmm. what our parents implemented at the time we don't realize, but it's that seed that plants and then eventually grows and scales up into something far greater. And then you can provide that to the masses. It's a beautiful thing, man. So I'm interested in, and I applaud you for kind of that mindset because I can certainly identify with you. And, Mm -hmm. and I think that more and more people are beginning to realize that, you know, like karma is a real thing, Mm -hmm. you know? And so being able to help others, mentor people, lead people, it's extremely important, especially, I mean, you know, we're at a point now, I don't know how old you are, but I'm in, I'm 33 and there's a generation where in my industry, where I'm now kind of moving into those leadership roles and and, and there's people underneath me that look up to me. Mm-hmm. And whereas like, it's kind of like eye opening. It's like, okay, I'm getting older. Like mm-hmm. I need to start giving back because they are the future. I'm in the present, but they are what's going to be changing, you know, and guiding the ship, if you will, for years to come. And so doing that for me, especially the younger generation, like you said, you know, with the schools, helping others achieve their goals. It's a great thing, man. And I'm sure that's probably what, you know, helps you succeed in, in your business, which I want to, you know, touch on a little bit more with regards to insurance. But one last thing on that is you're also involved with some philanthropy stuff, right? Yeah. So all of it kind of ties together. So the nonprofit and charity work, I think I'm on five nonprofit boards, but the one that I really have a big passion for is my Rotary Club, Downtown Houston Rotary Club. Check us out. Okay. We're about a year and a half old. When we started, we were chartered and we were the fastest growing Rotary Club in the world, largest in Houston, currently largest in Houston. We'll hopefully remain that way, knock yeah. on wood. But as the membership chair and one of the founding members of that club, we are a business organization. And with our business dealings with each other, we do good in the community. So like for helping the children that didn't have the shoes and the Rotary Wheel symbolizes to me we're a charity for other charities. So when somebody needs help, they come to us and say, hey, we need money, we need manpower, we need something. What can we do to plug and play in the Red Cross? What can we do to plug and play with the Lombardi Foundation sometimes? What can we do to help? So it's all about, like separately from Rotary, with the Lombardi Foundation, with John Lombardi, Spencer Tillman, Rick Slaymaker, and some of the other leaders, Fred Zeidman, that are involved in that, is we are trying to raise money through the platform of leadership in college football, obviously help these college football players that are outstanding leaders on and off the field. We use that as a platform to raise millions and millions of dollars for cancer charities for children. Oh, So that's what it's all about. So you use a platform that's multifunctional. It's a lot of fun. You get to help these college students, which is kind of the mentoring, what you were talking about a second ago, Mm -hmm. help them get a platform where, okay, you're 22, you're a stud, you're about to make millions of dollars, but be a leader and be a good person on and off the field. You know, there was just some things on the news yesterday about some of these football players using their platform for the wrong reasons. We're trying to teach them early to use it for the right reasons. So we tour them through the hospitals and the Texas Medical Center here wow. in Houston. And we show them the impact that they can have on these children, that there's six-year-old kids that need your help. And we're using your platform. We're not using you, but we're utilizing the platform that you have as a leader to raise money to help these kids that can't afford their medicine and for other reasons as well. Wow. Good for you guys. I mean, for football players and any sort of athlete or anyone on that level, 
are there enough resources for these folks to learn? Because a lot of them, I mean, they come from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. Some have nothing. Some right. come from, you know, mm -hmm. middle class. Some mm -hmm. come from families that, you know, give everything on a silver platter. But sure. for the ones who need the help and don't necessarily have the guidance that they needed growing up, mm -hmm. is there a demand for more of what you guys do? Or do you feel like, you know, we're, we're making some pretty good progress? I think so. I think that there's a void to be filled because, you know, a lot of the social media influencers, they look at others and they're trying to be social media influencers themselves. And sometimes they do things to get attention, to be able to go viral, so to speak. And sometimes mm -hmm. those are positive things, sometimes not so much. So I think there is a void to be filled there. I think that there's more outreach that we could do to not only the athletes, but other leaders and, and really just the, the younger generation as well. It's like grow up, be a good, decent human being, serve others, create value for others, and you'll have a, a great life, you know, just kind of stay in your lane of that. Mm -hmm. And if you want to be a rock star and you don't care what it takes to get there, and, and sometimes there's you know, things that you could do to go viral that will help you sell shoes on the internet, but it's not going to be good for maybe the kids that are following you because they look up to you. I think that we can maybe course correct that early in their career. And that's a lot of what we do at the Lombardi Foundation. Wow. Good for you guys. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more on the insurance side of things. So for the listeners out there who aren't very familiar or maybe don't deal with insurance, what are some, some nuggets or some things that you can teach, like the fundamentals of, you know, what to look for, sort of some things that trip up, you know, maybe companies that are early in the game, maybe startups or whatever the case may be. But yeah, how can you touch on that? Whether you're a startup or an advanced company, upper middle market, even Fortune 1000 companies, there's a lot of pitfalls. And I've got this article in front of me that I published. It's called The Five Pitfalls of Commercial Insurance. It's in my mm. mid-market risk report that I publish quarterly. This one touches on very basic to actually some advanced items as well. The first one is kind of thinking that you're covered when you're not covered. Say, hey, Justin, I bought a general liability policy and, you know, I'm good, right? My certificate that I show my clients or show my customers is $5 million in general liability. Okay, well, the policy is two or three inches thick for a reason. You may have a general liability policy that says you're covered, but there might be an exclusion that says for work other than done in the Permian Basin. Okay, but if you're performing work in the Permian Basin, you've got a problem. There's four other points, which I won't hit on all of them individually, but a lot of people buy that policy, they throw it in their desk drawer and they think that they're covered. Mm -hmm. Well, how do they know that? Have they read the policy? No. I mean, let's just be frank. And nine times out of 10, at least there's opportunities when the market changes. I was on a call with a gentleman actually on my drive up here and we've been emailing back and forth and he said, Hey, my insurance is fine. I'm not worried about, it. I think I sent him an email and said, Hey, I want to look at your insurance. He said, no, I'm good. I said, well, that's fine. How was your last renewal? And so I'm kind of persisting with him. And, and he said, well, you know, just kind of regular. I had a small rate increase, you know, normal. And so I wrote back to him. I said, but we're in a soft market. Yeah. Why'd you have a rate increase? Right. And so he said, well, maybe we should talk. Nice. And so I'm, I'm like, all right, that's success to me because I'm going to get somebody to open their mind and see something that they hadn't seen before. They think they're cool. So I talked to him on the phone and now we're going to go through the due diligence process that I take prospective clients through. And I mean, we're probably going to end up winning the deal because we're going to create value for him that he hasn't seen before. Right. And so not exploring options as the market conditions change. A lot of people don't know when we're in a soft and hard insurance market, just like in the energy sector, just like with the stock market or the equities, the market fluctuates. And so we've been in a soft market outside of commercial auto, which you guys out there with fleets know what I'm talking about. But general liability, workers comp, property especially, that market should be a trend flat to down. So if you're not seeing decreases each year, here's the dirty secret that I'll share with you guys. Okay. <laughs> okay. 
Insurance companies, I learned this when I was at the big billion dollar guys, insurance companies' margins are targeted at 30%. Okay. okay. If you're my client, yes, I want you to have a 30% margin. If you're a carrier that I'm working with, no, I don't want you to have a 30% margin. Again, I'm leveling the playing field right. for clients. I love all my carrier partners, but you're not going to make 30 points off my client. Right. Okay. So here's what we do. In a soft market or a market that's trending flat, you are going to provide decreases to my clients because you make an 18% margin, you're good. You're going to hit your numbers. You're going to be fine. And you know, you can report to your shareholders or whatever. And then my client's going to have a better insurance price. And yeah, we're going to negotiate coverages and service and proactive things and due diligence and things like looking at captive insurance companies and so forth as well. And then to move to the next point, it's like, what resources do you have? A lot of prospective clients come to me and say, my insurance broker is great. I've had him for 15 years. He shows up at my renewal two or three days before, gives me the renewal, nothing ever changes, all these things. And I'm pulling my hair out thinking those are four or five indicators or symptoms that you're overpaying for your insurance hmm. because that's not necessarily the right thing. So when we see a client that says things like that, it's a key indicator that they're likely overpaying for their insurance. So we want to talk to them and have an in-depth discussion as to why and how we can help them. And then I guess kind of leading into that is the reactive service. If your broker comes and sees you once or twice a year and they answer your call when you call them and they issue certificates when your customers require them, it's very just reactive service. Yeah. If you don't have a strategic partner that's being proactive and giving you proactive fundamental, what's next? How do we get the insurance costs down over five or 10 years? Yes, your next renewal is important, but if you're big enough to have a captive insurance company and we can set that up for you over the scale of 10 years, prior to your retirement when you sell that business. And then you've got this pot of cash from the captive sitting on the side that you can use as an asset to increase your multiple as you sell that business to somebody coming up to purchase it. Let's have conversations like that because right. the guys that are out there and gals that understand how captive insurance works, it can be a really big thing to help you extremely, especially when you go to either exit the business or just long-term cost savings from year to year as well. Wow. Going that extra mile and being proactive is certainly always important in the line of business. So do you think it's a function of you being maybe with a smaller company or like, why do these big mass companies don't have that same approach? Because to me, I mean, it's just because your experience, I mean- It's like the people. It's all about the people. So when I was at the big billion dollar companies, I still acted this way. And not to say that I'm perfect or that I do it the right way, I'm still learning. You know, we call it a dental practice or a physician's practice or my insurance practice because we're continuing to practice, right? Of course. Yeah. And so the way that it works is, you know, the mentors that I look up to, Darren Hardy, Jim Rohn, Grant Cardone, some of these guys that are really just high level entrepreneurs. I think that one of my favorites is Harvey McKay, swim with the sharks without being eaten. I think he's got. But it's all about like, how do you serve your clients proactively and how do you keep them for a long time? Because you and I understand you win when you have clients for a long time. So yeah. what do you do to provide to them something that they want to be with you as a client for a long-term perspective? It's not a speed date. It's really, you know, a long-term deal. And so it's not the company, it's not the leadership, but it's really the individuals within that. I think that that determine that. And so I've done that in my past, but even more so now, because understanding that long-term relationship is what really helps people win. So would you say typically in, in your line of business, is there a higher probability of success playing the long game? Are you more volume over quality or quality over volume or, or is there a balance? I would much rather deliver a very high quality and have lesser volume than the inverse of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, here, and here's why. I work with people and when you're somebody that I'm 
brokering your business or being your consultant or whatever, you're my number one priority and I've got to deliver the highest quality of goods and services that I can to you possible. And you can say, oh, well, my broker does that too. Well, he's thinking the same thing. Well, okay, that's fine. But then what are the actions behind that? Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of talk, then there's a lot of action. Like what actually happens? So do you see your broker quarterly? Do you talk about proactive game plans? Do you have a service calendar that is on your calendar that basically says my broker is going to come see me for a midterm review and discuss my open claims, try to get the reserves down, and we're going to strategize into our next renewal. I've got one client that renews in July and every January I'm calling them saying, hey, XYZ insurance company, I can't say their name. They will give you 2% reduction if you agree to it now. We can either do that now or I can go broker the deal and try to get you 10% hmm. somewhere else. And it's like, hey, they're busy. They say, hey, we'll take the two. We're good. Nice. We're good with that. And then I have other prospective clients that say, hey, I had a 10% rate increase last year, just like I always do. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, there's a better way to do it. And you're leaving money on the table. Think about the compound interest. If you have a 2% rate increase for 10 years in that compounds, think about how much more you're paying at the end of that 10 years than if you had a couple of rate decreases along the way. It's huge. Yeah. You're spending two, $300,000 more per year in insurance that could really affect the long term. And then think of when you exit the company. So a lot of what we do is M&A activity with family offices, PE firms, and running the diligence for them on the front end of that. So if you are not in a position to really capitalize on your insurance spend, then there's a lot of ways that you can get to the point of not doing it the right way. And so if you see your broker once or twice a year and they're coming in last minute and nothing ever changes, you've got a problem whether you know it or not. Right, right. So, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about sales. What would you say that the most valuable tool is that you use on a regular basis with regards to sales, reaching, building your network? I think it's probably just networking and trying yeah. to expand your reach of the people that you know and the people that know you. Mm -hmm. And so shaking hands, being involved, being active on LinkedIn. We were talking a little bit about earlier. Mm -hmm. Facebook's fine for family, friends, and pictures, I guess. But yeah. like business gets conducted on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. And so Freddie G here locally, if he's young professionals, he's a pro at how do you position yourself as a leader on that platform. Hmm, I gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about LinkedIn. It, it's certainly over the last year has gained like extreme ground. Everyone's flooding onto LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. It used to be, you know, put your resume on there and you'd hope that a recruiter would hit you up. And they will. Now, oh, they will. <laughs> yeah. Big time. Yeah. So, but it's interesting. It's a professional Facebook, but right. it, to me, it's at the growth point where Facebook and, and Instagram were, you know, maybe 2011, 2012. How have you leveraged that platform and what have you seen and what kind of things have you learned through utilizing that platform? You just have a different audience, right? So you have an audience of, yeah, there's going to be a lot of people that have both platforms, but people utilize LinkedIn to network socially with professionals and maybe sometimes they need something. Like I had mm -hmm. a friend post something the other day. He said, I need a dump truck company in East Texas that's got a pretty sizable job for 18 months. Who wants it? Yeah. Like there's things like that. Like that's almost an RFP, you know, right, you, you yeah. obviously take several more steps to figure out if that deal works or not. Yeah. But so that's kind of fun. Maybe they could do that on Facebook too, which they probably did. However, for me, it makes sense because it's my audience. It's my circle of influencers and people that I really want to be in front of. And more so if you go type in a service that you need on Facebook, it's maybe more of a consumer service. But if you're in a business to business transaction, it's going to be more likely on 
on LinkedIn. So if you're not on LinkedIn, I would encourage that you look at it and you try to build that out. And then you think about, so we talked about social media influencers. Okay, I've got you know, 200,000 followers on Instagram. Well, that's fine, but they're looking at pictures and maybe they're buying consumer goods. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of commercial, you know, insurance or drilling fluids are being transacted on Instagram. Right. On LinkedIn, absolutely the case. There are, and people are looking for those things. They're looking for people like you and people like me, and we're looking for people that we can serve that we have value for. Right, right. How important is creating content? Are you the type, like what's your, your standpoint? So it like my, so 100 my, posts a day or is it like, you know, what's your thoughts? So my brother, Corey Bray, he's out of San Francisco, Closed Loop with a Z is his company. Thanks for the plug, but he is really good at this. So okay. they'll, they'll do videos on a regular basis. He's got five books out. He's got more coming out as well. Dang. So he's the guy to ask that question, but I can speak not for him, but just knowing him obviously closely. Look, the biggest thing in business is obscurity. If you have the best product on the planet, but nobody knows about it, you're not going to sell it. Right. Right. So if you have the best product on the planet and a lot of people know about it, they're going to be happy because they have your product and you're going to be successful because you delivered that product to them. Mm -hmm. So putting this content out on a regular basis, I'm working on trying to do a better job at it, but there's things out there that I put on a weekly basis. Could I do it three times a day? Gary Vaynerchuk says, hey, post five times a day. Grant Cardone says, post 20 times a day. I don't, but you can. So yeah, you totally can. There's not too much information that you can put out because people are going to see your feed different times a day. And then they're also going to, hopefully, when you post quality content, click on your next content. So if you have one quality thing come out, then the next quality thing comes out. I will warn to you sales individuals or business development folks, don't put out garbage because right. that's going to really taint your name. I've got a lot of friends that subscribe to the Grant Cardone, Gary V's theory of put out a lot of content. It doesn't work if your content's garbage. You've got to create value for your clients. Yeah. And when you do, then you're going to be able to be in a position of, you know, maybe authority or somebody's going to like your stuff, whether they open it or not. I guess just start. If you're a mid-market company in the energy sector, blue collar sector, and you're saying, hey, I'm not a salesperson. I'm not this insurance broker or Justin selling drilling fluids. Well, guess what? I would ask you to challenge your thinking and say, hey, your business development people or your salespeople or even your front desk staff could put some content out for your business so more people know about you because it's not, you know, if, if you're this owner of the company, number one job is top line revenue. Then you figure out the rest from there a lot of times. So yeah. I think it's really important the companies that are missing that right now, Justin, are the ones that we're going to be forgetting about because the companies that figure that out in the future, they're going to pass them up. Well, that's like, you know, if you're not building awareness around your brand and building the brand and telling the story on a regular basis, you're becoming irrelevant, right? Right. And and that's at the end of the day, and and tons of people preach that. Again, you know, Gary Vee's big on that. Right. But even through my personal experience, it's true. And it was last Christmas, I posted a silly video on LinkedIn. And like, it was like before that, everything I saw was very professional, very in, in the lines. Well, I posted this silly video, you know, about AES drilling fluids, wishing everyone a happy holidays. Right. And and then I posted a series, probably like four or five videos following that. And like, I had so many people like, like randomly in customers' offices and other people's offices or on wherever, be like, well, you're the guy that makes a funny LinkedIn videos. Like, I go. can't believe you did that. Yeah. And I really had to like, like, it was an experiment 
but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to worry about the judgment from others to right. say like, what are you doing? This isn't Facebook. Right. But I had more positive feedback on that. And then I kind of took that and grew it, you know, and, and just realized the potential mm-hmm. and the reach that I would get. And the people that were like, you know, like, oh, that's awesome. Like, I need to do more of that. And because yeah. like more people knew about our company from one silly video than like going to an AEDE conference and standing there with with like pens and, and yeah. soft squishy balls. You exactly. know what I mean? So like Sarah Stogner is a big time oil and gas attorney. Yeah, I know Sarah. Okay, so she's great. So she posted this picture of her golfing. Yeah. And, and so a lot of backlash or a bunch of haters saying, hey, put that on Facebook. LinkedIn has no place for that. But guess what? Right. Six months later, here me and you are talking about it and, and giving her some press. <laughs> and a lot of people listening know who Sarah is. And she's great. So you can have your opinions of that. But look, if you put out good content on top of that, if you post baby pictures every day on LinkedIn, yes, people are going to get annoyed. Right. If you post one in your family around Christmas or something, and then you put out a bunch of quality content, people are going to say, oh, Justin put some content out after that funny video that he posted. And then you walk in their office, they're like, oh, hey, I know you. Right. right? And, and one of the things that I also mentioned there is the people that don't know you personally will come to find out that they do know you, whether you have them in your circle or not, you know, I go oftentimes to a networking event or to dinner or cocktails or something. And people will walk up to me and say, Hey man, how you doing? I'm like, I've never met you before. Yeah. But, but they're like, we're friends on Facebook. We're friends on LinkedIn. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. That's, you know, that's great. It's a 2020 way to network and get out there and have people see you. Cause you can't go to all of the networking events and your clients you can't go to all the networking events, but you can network on LinkedIn with thousands of people on a regular basis if you choose to do so. I'm a fan. Yeah, it's a 24-7 virtual house party for yeah, professionals. There you go. <laughs> so, but no, what do you see, you know, in 10 years if we were sitting down having the same conversation? How do you think social media networking and conducting business through these types of platforms do you see that evolving into something greater? I mean, where, where do you see that going? It's scary because me and you are the same age. The 23-year-olds are going to be light years ahead of us, yeah, you know? And right? so it's going to evolve. I don't know. Technology is moving so quickly that it's it's going to be a little bit scary. Like, how do you network and conduct business virtually yeah. instead of going to those happy hours or, you know, industry or association events or national events and so forth. So I don't know. But what I do know is that being on the cutting edge of that is so crucial to all of us. Because if you're not, you will get left behind. If you're the person out there thinking, oh, well, we've always done it this way. You know, these young bucks, these young chaps are just thinking, oh, they're going to, you know, do all this social media stuff and stay on their phones all day, every day. Well, guess what? The reason that we're doing that is a lot of times to conduct business. And so mm-hmm. if you're not on the cutting edge of the new wave, the LinkedIn, doing LinkedIn lives, putting out content, things that we're talking about here, yeah. then there's going to be people behind you, whether you like it or not, that are going to pass us or you up. And so I think just staying in tune, you don't have to watch it every day, but if you kind of keep your ear to the ground, do some of those things. And if you don't want to do it, delegate it to somebody that can, because if you're not present, you're obscure and obscurity is a silent killer. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. Speaking of cutting edge, are you on TikTok? So I'm big on LinkedIn. I have a TikTok account. Yeah. I do not participate in TikTok. <laughs> Look, I'm going to preach a couple of things that I don't practice all about LinkedIn. TikTok, I'm not going to sit here and talk about because I don't know much about. I'll ask you what your opinion is on it. I think that it's really important for certain people to be on TikTok depending on what your objectives are. Is the same as it's important to be on Instagram depending on what your objectives are. If you're selling a clothing line or perfume or hand lotions, if you're not on Instagram, you're missing out. 
You don't need to do that on LinkedIn. You can, but your audience is on Instagram. If you're selling commercial insurance or big time drilling fluids to large companies, Instagram's not your audience. It's all about LinkedIn. Yeah, big time. What are you? What's your opinion on TikTok? I think it's. I think it's important to at least observe the trend. Yes, because Instagram did not start off with what it is today. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn did not start off with what it is today. Facebook did not start off with what it is today. And and then like, look at Periscope. So Periscope came and went maybe a year-ish, something like that. And a lot of people don't even know what Periscope is. It's it's another platform that was going to be the next big thing, but it kind of crapped out and didn't turn into anything. Maybe somebody bought it. I don't know. What I do know is that it's not a platform that's going to conduct business for somebody like me. Sure. And rightfully so. And the only thing I'll say, and this is something that I heard, it gave me a different perspective on TikTok or whatever it is, but Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's for 12 year old, you know, girls to do dance moves or whatever. And I'm going to supplement your thoughts on like, you know, business to consumer, Mm -hmm. you know, who spends most money in the house? Typically, a lot of times women. Well, Mm -hmm. who dictates that? It's their 12 year old daughter. So if you can win them over, they're going to tell mommy and daddy about it. And then mommy and daddy are going to then look into, hey, mommy, I I saw this toothpaste. Someone was on TikTok and then all of a sudden mommy goes out to Target and buys this toothpaste. I love that. And it's so true. But then also think of like if you've got. Say you've got your hunting buddies and you're going duck hunting. Yeah. And Jimmy's over here saying, golly, my freaking insurance is just killing me, man. I'm considering bankruptcy. Yeah. And then you've got a client or somebody that follows your LinkedIn on a regular basis. They're like, well, there's this guy. You should check him out. You know, I don't do business with him, but I've heard of him and I think he's got some good stuff. You should call him along with the other people that you're calling or whatever. So they're sitting there in the duck blind. Boom. And then they're talking about things like that. Business to consumer, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all that. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. No, it's just interesting topic at the yeah, very least. Totally. Well, look, I want to respect your time here. We're getting close to 45 minutes. I want to ask a couple of questions more on the personal side of things. Sure. Do you have any daily routines or habits outside from work? So, I mean, kind of the normal ones. I subscribe to this school of thought that routines are not for me. Okay. And I, I recognize and respect that for others that are. I do like to cook dinner. I think it's important for a lot of reasons. So that's one of my routines, which obviously doesn't always happen. Being physical in the gym is something that I think we all strive to do a little bit better at. No, I don't go every day. You know, that's one of the things that is on the radar. I'm not going to answer yes to that question because I try to live a little bit kind of a, I'm on call 24 seven. So like this week was a non-typical week for me. It was 10 hour plus days pretty much every day and including today. And maybe Mm -hmm. over the weekend I'll work some too. But no, I think that I look personally at the grand scheme of things, what are my personal goals and how do I serve the goals of my clients? And then where do I impact that the most and what do I need to do? What are my action steps? Gotcha. So do I have a personal routine? Even like when you wake up, do you eat breakfast? Do you drink coffee or do you mm-hmm. le- does that change every it day? It changes. It really changes. I mean, like I've just started drinking coffee the last couple of weeks and I kind of oh, swore, wow. <laughs> I swore off coffee for like the last two years because it hurt my stomach. I mean, okay. okay so. But outside of that, you know, I go to work and try to help people. That's pretty much the routine. Hey, and that's that's all good, man. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. So what keeps you, I guess, motivated and maintaining a level of energy and sustainability, you know, because you're mm-hmm. in a high stimulus mode. I mean, obviously you're go, 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 mm-hmm. but 
do you just still have more gas in the tank or how do you recharge? So great question. I think that the more that I learn, the more that I realize I don't know much. Right. And so I work with a whole bunch of successful people that are my clients. And the more of that that I see and the more of them that I meet and understand what they're doing and the bigger they are and even seeing things on social media or like I read 25 books a year. So there's one of my habits there. It doesn't happen every day. Right. And I've done that since I was 18. And so what the big deal is for me is understanding that there's much bigger things out there keeps me going. Because once I get to a certain incremental level in my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm good when I get to this point or I'm good when I get to that point. Then I get to that point. I'm like, man, this isn't even that good. Right. You know, I've got to get to the next point because my client is over here doing a hundred million dollars a year and putting 12 of it to the bottom line. Like, okay, that's impactful. So what can I do to learn, to grow, to do something similar to that person? If I have that level of ambition, I don't have the level of ambition to be a billionaire because I just, I don't want to work that much. And I don't want to take that level of risk, Justin, Yeah. but there's a level between here and there that is probably achievable over the course of a long life. You know, we're still young, but the thing is seeing others be successful and knowing that there's so many other people, there's 7 billion people on the planet. Mm -hmm. I haven't touched, but a inth of that. Yeah. Like what? A couple hundred companies. Okay. So my goal used to be have a direct or indirect impact on 10,000 people. Okay. Well, then you get to 10,000. You're like, man, there's 7 billion out there. I'm really not doing very good. Mm. Wow. That's crazy. Dude. So step it up. <laughs> yeah. No <laughs> that, kidding. That's the way I talk to myself anyway. Yeah. <laughs> hey, no, I appreciate that, yeah. man. There, I think there's a, there's a lot of nuggets coming out of this. I'm Thank sure you. the listeners will appreciate I hope this. So. You mentioned books. If you could pick one book to gift to anyone in your network, what would it be? Okay. So if it was anybody in my overall network, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. That's hilarious. That's exactly my answer when people ask me. Because I have a big network of young folks that follow my millennial mentor podcast, but then I also have like some old dudes that are in the oil patch that probably need to read that book too, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, and certainly not all of them, but I think that there's a lot of them I could sit here and rattle off, but I would say for anybody, whether you're in the blue collar industry like we are, or if you're looking to sell consumer goods, figure out somebody that you can follow and follow their social media, read their books, read their content, go to their seminars and learn from them because you're different than us. Mm -hmm. But if you want to be great, then look, you've got to have a mentor. I have some mentors in life, but I don't really have that key mentor that's like, hey, Billy, this is what we're doing. Okay. This trend happened. We need to capitalize on it. Here's the action that you take. Here's what we're doing in the stock market. Here's what we're doing with oil and gas. Here's what we're doing in marketing and budgeting and all that stuff. If you don't have those people as somebody you can go have breakfast with, fine. Go find them on a book because they're there. Yeah. Boom. One more question. What's something about yourself that not many people know about? Like any good hidden secrets or any little hobbies? It doesn't have to be weird shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just something (laughs) outside of, you know, the norm. I have a cookbook out, Fast, Easy, Cheap, Healthy Meals on Amazon.com. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So I do love to cook. I think it's really important. It's just kind of when I was young and broke and wanted to be healthy and not get fat and all these things, I'm like, okay, so how do I do that? Well, I got to go buy groceries and learn how to cook. Yeah. And so I told my grandma when I was 24, I said, by the time I'm 25, I'll have a published cookbook. So I read a book called something of how to get passive income or something. It was real small, real kind of a basic, kind of a stupid book actually, but it taught me how to self-publish on Kindle direct publishing. And so that's out. Wow. I used to play drums back in the day, learned recently that I'm really bad at it. So I I lost (laughs) that. I tried to pick it back up, but it it did go away. It's not like riding a bike. So a couple things, but you know, my day to day is figure out how to go serve people in the community, whether it's business, nonprofit or 
whatever other way is necessary. So I got you. You got to be a good person, serve others, and you'll be fine. I got you. So if you had one meal to cook for either, you know, a sweet honey that you got over or a good, bad, one of their best friends, what you got a staple meal that's like your go-to? Okay, so I've got the easy ones, but I'll hit you with a fun one. Okay. Okay, here's the deal. So picture this. A pineapple. You cut it in half. Yeah. You hollow out the pineapple. You put the hollowed pineapple on the side. You skillet fry some chicken and you season it up with some teriyaki, maybe a little salt and pepper. Put all that back in the pineapple. What? Melt some butter, drizzle it over the top. Boom. (laughs) That's great. Somehow I'm going to either listen to it or you're going to send me the list (laughs) of how to do that. And that's going to be on the show notes here. Fantastic. That's great, man. I love it. All right. Well, a few more things here. I'd like to take a moment to tell everyone about our upcoming events. Hi, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So obviously we are in uh, unprecedented times right now and have been unable to carry out our last couple of happy hours that we had scheduled for last month. We have chosen to delay them and we'll continue to update you on when exactly we will be able to have those events again. Obviously, we're following along the recommended guidelines of the CDC and the World Health Organization. So we're really looking forward to seeing you and we're hoping that these events are going to happen sooner rather than later. But for now, stay tuned and we will keep you posted on those dates. Also, just want to say thank you to everyone for continuing to listen to Oil & Gas Global Network. We are fortunate to already have been a virtual company before the coronavirus and all of these issues started plaguing various countries. And we just want to continue bringing you guys the best information and to the best of our ability, keep you informed, especially while everyone is at home or at least most more people than ever before are at home. So we just would like to thank you for continuing to tune in and continuing to listen. And we hope that everyone is staying safe and we wish everyone the best. And thanks again. Awesome. Thank you. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn for more details. And if you're looking to get in shape over the winter or getting into spring, maybe you've got a nice vacation coming up, or if you want to get that summer bod going, visit KTX Fit in Katy, Texas, and get a free trial by telling one of the coaches that I sent you. Billy, thanks again for a wonderful chat. This Thank has been great. Me. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super glad you reached out and we made time to do this. What's the best way for people to reach out to you or to get know more about your company aside from all the links that you're, you know, I'd like to, for you to send me links that I can put in the show notes with the, you know, the stuff that you published, your LinkedIn. Sure. But I guess, you know, I guess I answered, is LinkedIn the best way? LinkedIn is great, but I'm open and transparent. Look, I want to help you. I want to help your friends. I want to help your company. My personal cell phone number, believe it or not, I will give that to you is 281-222-4585. Text me is the best way to get in touch with me. Feel free to call. I don't listen to voicemails, but maybe once or twice a day or once or twice a week, rather. Call me or hit me up on LinkedIn. Follow my LinkedIn and you'll see some of the content that we were talking about. You'll see some ongoing videos and we do some funny stuff to kind of keep it, but also we'll give you direct content on specifically what we do to help clients. No, that's awesome. It's funny. You mentioned giving out your phone number. I remember back in the day, I forget, Mike Jones was the one. He was like yeah. one of the first people yeah. that gave out his cell right. phone number publicly. Right. It was a fake was... phone number, though. Was if it? you ever called it, it just went to a recording. But this is my legit phone okay. number. So I think not... somebody's calling me right now, actually. <laughs> That's hilarious. Awesome. Well, uh, hey, appreciate your time. For everyone out there, always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. 
Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.